This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. You know, in the mid-1990s, the city of Baltimore, Maryland, don't know if we have any Oriole fans uh, in, in, the, in the house today, but the city of Baltimore, Maryland, experienced an epidemic of syphilis. If you looked from the 70s into the mid-90s, the level of infection rate among newborn babies of syphilis remained very consistent. As a matter of fact, if you looked at it plotted on a graph, it would look exactly like a straight line. The variables were very small. But between 1995 and 1996, the infection rate among newborn babies rose by 500% in one year. If you actually looked at it plotted on a graph, it's almost as if when you reach 1996, the line takes a right angle and goes straight up. The Centers for Disease Control was called in to Baltimore to examine what was going on. And the CDC, being the government agency that it is, blamed crack cocaine <laughs> because crack cocaine was invented in 1995, which it really wasn't. You know, it had been around forever. But they said that the behaviors that are associated with the spread of crack cocaine must have had a role. So the city of Baltimore, not satisfied with that answer as to what was going on, brought in an epidemiologist, a, a, a scientist that studies epidemics. And as he was researching, which it was a very tedious task, he discovered that the city of Baltimore uh, destroyed, in 1995, two high-rise apartment buildings that were built in the 1960s. These apartment buildings, as they began to deteriorate, actually became um, government-subsidized housing. They became the projects. And when the city of Baltimore tore down those two, they actually displaced the residents and there's all over the city. And the experts said, you took what had been contained in one place and you infected your entire city with it. You see, as the story of the Bible opens, we find that God shows us there is something that is contained within this choice that you don't want to have. And if you encounter this, you will inevitably spread a disease. And that disease has spread all over the world. Let's look at what I'm talking about. Coming out of Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Think about that with me. As God lays the groundwork for the beginning of life, he gives one man one rule not to eat from one tree. And if you're me, sitting there listening to it, this is what goes through my mind. I could do that. 
Don't eat apples. Okay. I'm good. I don't even like them anyway. Right? But you can tell. Right? Right? Y'all laughing. That hurts. Don't laugh at me. One tree, one fruit, one rule. Don't eat from it. And we blew that, didn't we? And I say we because, see, God was proving a point to us there in the garden. He was proving that if we made it as simple as it could ever be, one rule, you'd still ruin it. Rules won't work. And in that moment when Eve, then Adam, chose to eat from that tree that God had said not to eat from, sin entered the world. And I want you to know immediately this, that sin is a deadly infection. Sin is a deadly infection. Sin entered the world and infected lives. It infected the lives of Adam and Eve, but it infected every subsequent life that has ever existed. It really tore the fabric of creation apart. Because that which God had created as good and perfect now was in the process of being destroyed by sin. I want you to think about that choice with me. Because in the choice that Adam and Eve make, we find hidden within it a definition of what real life is. You see, there are two trees, as you read those first three chapters of the book of Genesis that the Bible points out. There is the tree of life, and then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Both of those trees are named as existing in the Garden of Eden. And Jesus looked at that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, and said, do not eat from that tree. Any other tree you want, fine. Any other tree, any other thing you want to eat, this is the one tree you can't eat from. And you know what? They ate from it. But think about, with, if you're familiar with this story at all, think about how the temptation that Satan throws at Eve goes down. What does Satan say to Eve? Satan says, God knows that if you eat from that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, if you eat from that tree, you will be like God. You will be like God. You will be able to know the difference between good and evil. There's a tree of life. There's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. First thing I'll tell you that's in your notes today is that sin always redefines life according to its own terms. You see, the deadly decision that's made in that moment, is to turn away from life as it is defined by God and to choose to define life by your own terms. You will be like God. You will get to decide what is good and evil. You will have the knowledge. Or, if you eat from the other tree, your whole life is sustained simply by God. Or, you can be your own God. In that moment, see, we see that life 
is an issue. It's an issue from the very beginning of Scripture. We see that God wants to give us life and that we, through sin, often want to destroy it. And for us, for many of us, the way that we're looking, living looks alive, but it's dead on the inside. I would say that for many of us, there's the nagging reality that the way that I'm living right now is not the way I'm supposed to. The way that I'm living. I know that there's a life that's more fulfilling. I know that there's a life that's more rewarding. I know that there's something out there that is better than what I have. This is not it. Life is not about waking up every morning and having grape nuts and going to work. And coming home every night and having a healthy dinner and going to bed and repeating the same process with no goal in mind, no purpose at all. This isn't it. Because we're dead on the inside. See, if you're a fan like me of the show, The Walking Dead, the thing that we love about the characters on that show is what makes them alive. That in the face of a worldwide pandemic of a virus that has attacked humanity and, as stupid as this sounds, killed people and then brought their bodies back to life so that those zombies could then run around and bite you and infect you with the same virus. All right, as, as silly as that sounds, the thing that we love about that show is the life that we see. I mean, are there any Daryl Dixon fans in here? I don't know if there are. You're probably carrying crossbows. <laughs> if you don't know the show, then don't, you don't get that. Um, but you know, that nagging reality is something that we live with. You know, in the, the show, they actually use the term walkers to describe zombies. Because they're walking around and dead. You know, so they don't identify them as people. They call them walkers. And, and that terminology really applies to life. Because the truth is, is that we're all either walking towards life or death. All of us. And in the journey that our life is taking right now, and as a matter of fact, I'd go so far to tell you that here at Vortex, we believe that life is a journey. It's one of the core components of what our vision for what life looks like. We believe that life is a journey. And in our journey, we're either walking towards life or walking towards death. Look at what Jesus said, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth and the life. I don't know what religious background you came in with today. I don't know where you are in the way that you think about the world, but that statement is the boldest statement in human history. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. It, Jesus is saying, I don't, it doesn't matter if you're a good Hindu, a good Buddhist, it doesn't matter what your karma looks like. It, it doesn't matter if you adhere to strict religious principles. 
only way that you're getting to God is through me. I'm the way. See, our life is a journey that's either going towards life. And Jesus says, I am the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Or it's going to death. You see, I would tell you today that the invitation of the gospel is to follow Jesus. The invitation of the gospel is to follow Jesus. In our American culture, we elevate leadership and individuality above almost everything else. Go to Amazon.com and search leadership and see the tens of thousands of books that have been written to help you become a better leader. Type in follower and see how many you get. Because most of us have egos that are too big that get in the way of keeping us from following folks. But that's what the Bible invites us to do. That's what Jesus did, isn't it? He would go up to his disciples and say, come, follow me. The invitation of the gospel is to follow Jesus. Think about that with me. What is a follower? This is in your notes. The first thing is that we don't choose the path. Number two, we don't choose the place. We don't choose the path as a follower. We don't choose the place. We don't choose the direction that we're going, and we don't choose the destination that we're going to. Because Jesus is both the direction and the destination. Jesus never said, come follow me, I will take you to Jerusalem. He didn't give them, all right, here's the city that we're going to. He said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, there is a goal out there that you will be able to do something with me, but the only way you're going to get there is if you follow me. He defines the way that we go and the place that we're going to. That's what it means to be a follower. Let me tell you why that's important. Because when it's God's plan, it's God's product. When it's God's plan, it's God's results. You see, when we're willing to lay down our plan and embrace God's plan, you know what happens to the end result? It becomes what God wants it to be. Not what we want it to be. Not what we've defined it should be. When we lay down our pride and say, God, whatever you want, I don't care what it looks like, here I am, use me. God comes in. When it's his plan, it's his results. For many of us, the truth is is that we have followed a path that was not leading to life. We've become, in life, the walking dead. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but we live in a world that's filled with zombies. What what is a zombie? A zombie is somebody who's dead, but they look like they're alive. They walk around, and they bump into things. Some of the old movies are really, really funny, as they depicted zombies. The walking dead has taken it to a whole other level of um, television presentation behind that, you know. But 
We live in a world that's filled with zombies, filled with people who are dead on the inside, but they look like they're living. That's what the walking dead is. You see, I would tell you today that when we follow the wrong things, we end up dead. We're all following something. We're either on a path that's leading to life or we're on a path that's leading to death. And when we follow the wrong things, we end up dead. So what are the wrong things? What are the wrong things that we follow? I would tell you that the first thing that we follow that's wrong is sinful appetites. Sinful appetites. That means the things that our body is naturally inclined to want. That we want more of. You know what I've learned about healthy people? Healthy people are very good at saying no. No to that food. No to that night of going out when I know I need to be home doing this. No to that fun outing that I could go on because I need to go to the gym and work out. They're really good at saying no to the right things and yes to the right things. Because often, these very good appetites that God put there, the desire for food, the desire for love and affection, the desire to be in relationships, all of those things, when those appetites become overfed and all they ever want is more, it gets to a sinful place. So the first thing that I would say is sinful appetites. The second thing that I would say that are or is something that's wrong that we end up following is those friends. And I put that in quotes for you because I don't know what those friends means for you, but I'm pretty sure you know who those friends are. Right? During the series that we did um, called The Walking Dead, I actually did a message called Biters. If you actually, if you watch the TV show, the primary way that the virus is spread is by people or zombies that bite you. That doesn't sound real fun, does it? It really is kind of gross. Um, but the truth is, is that we all have friends that are not satisfied with their problems being their problems. Their problems are going to find a way to become your problems. They're biters. They're those friends. And during the series, we talked about the fact that we needed to create relational margin between us and those friends that we needed to not that we couldn't love them not that we couldn't serve them not that we couldn't be used by God to see them restored but that we needed to create some distance so that they're not going to bite us and infect us with their disease and the third thing that I think that we do is that we follow good things that we elevate to supreme things you see your wife, your kids, your job, good things. Good, good things for you. But I, I don't know if you've seen this happen before. I, I have so many times, I can't count this now. But someone who was in love with their job to the point that their job became what they would sacrifice for, their job became what they would give up nights and weekends and holidays and all of that to take the next step to get the next promotion only 
to years down the road be the person that was cut and thrown to the curb. See, a job is a good thing. A career is a wonderful thing. But your job is going to make an awfully bad savior for you. I mean, we do this in our culture a lot with kids. I love my daughter. She's three. She's full of life and crazy words right now. She says the funniest things all the time. Um, The other day, she said to Amanda, she was like, I'm going to cut your hair. And Amanda goes, oh, no, I'm scared. You know, just playing around with her. And she looked at Amanda and just very seriously goes, Mommy, do not be afraid. The Lord your God goes with you. (laughs) She quoted Joshua 1-7, right? Because we've taught her that verse. She's awesome. I love her, you know. But, you know, she makes a really bad savior. I don't know if you've picked that up about your kids yet. Elevating a good thing to a supreme thing will cause us to chase it and will sacrifice what ultimately should be supreme. Many of us find ourselves waking up in the middle of a life that is not alive the way God wants it to be. That might be you today. Today, it, it, it might be the moment that you encounter the reality that I, I'm, I'm breathing, I have my routine, I've, I've got my job, my, my family, but there's something missing, and, and what's missing is life. I mean, life is missing. And in that reality, I wanted to give you some tools as to what we could do as we recover from a life that has just encountered the tragedy of embracing death instead of embracing life. And the first thing that I would tell you today is that we need, in the moment that we encounter that kind of difficulty, we need to be willing to release the grief that is associated. See, as we encounter the fact that our lives have followed after things that are filled with death, most of us, are going to be hit with the reality of the, the devastation that our decisions have brought into our lives. And we all too often become emotional hoarders. We're the people who feel all of this negative stuff and all we do is vacuum it up and suck it in and hold it there. Y'all ever seen that TV show, Hoarders? It's my worst nightmare if you've ever been in my office, you know why. I mean, it's like neat and organized. And it's just, I, I mean, I have nightmares about being in those houses. I really do. But some of us do that to our hearts. Like there's that negative thing that comes in. I'm just going to hold on to that. There's that hurt that someone did to me. There's that negative thing that someone said to me. Read what Jesus says in Matthew 5, Matthew 5, 4, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You see, if you mourn, you're releasing the grief. And it's only in our capacity to release that, that we actually invite comfort into our lives. Because if you don't release it the right way, you'll release it the wrong way. If you don't let go of the negative just hurt, 
pain, if you don't let go of it, it's going to come out the wrong way. You're going to hurt people that you love. So we need to release the grief. The second thing that we need to do is we need to be willing to receive from others. If you've done this long enough, if you've followed Jesus long enough, you know this reality. I can't make it on my own. See, in the context of The Walking Dead, you see a reality that actually is a quote from another TV show, but you see this truth in there that you live together but you die alone. The scariest thing for them is to be out by themselves. To not have companionship. To not have somebody that's looking after your back. So we need to learn to receive the help of others. Look at what Galatians 6 says. Galatians 6 says, carry each other's burdens by helping each other with your troubles. We need to receive from others. The third thing is that we need to refuse to be bitter. We need to refuse to be bitter. And I'm going to give you two steps that you need to take in the middle of tragedy, in the middle of difficulty to Guard your heart and keep yourself from becoming bitter. Because I honestly believe that bitterness has robbed more people from joy that God wants to give you. It has stolen life from more people than most of the things that we encounter in life. Bitterness is that deadly, unseen sneak attack sin. All right? The first thing that we need to do is we need to accept what cannot be changed. We need to accept what cannot be changed. There are words that, that people have spoken to you that they will never be able to absorb, no matter how sorry, no matter how remorseful they are, no matter how much those words don't accurately reflect their heart, they can't take them back. There are things, there are people that are in here today that people have done awful things to you. And as much as you put mental effort into it, as hard as you try, you cannot have that act ever taken away. And we need to be the people who accept what cannot be changed in the middle of difficulty. Because railing against what can't be changed is only going to open our hearts to bitterness. The second thing that we need to do is we need to focus on what's left and not what's lost. Focus on what's left and not what's lost. When people wake up out of the stupor of having lived the walking dead, they look around and see the devastation that their sin has brought in their lives. The relationships that are no longer there. The people that they've wounded. The, the money that they've lost. The property that they've destroyed. And all too often, it's the awareness of what's lost that keeps them from taking the next step they need to. We don't need to focus on what's lost. So let's focus on what's left because I promise you that if you open your eyes wide enough and look around, you will see that God has blessed you. That you have more than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine right now. That God is very present with you. So we need to focus on what's left and not what's lost. The fourth thing is that we need to remember what matters. Remember 
what matters. There's nothing like those moments in life that challenge us to actually refocus our hearts on what matters the most. Because if you're like me, there's a lot of life that's wasted on stuff that don't matter. Y'all with me, man? I mean, just arguments about what direction the toilet paper roll should go, right? I don't know if y'all have those kind of fights in your house, but we do, right? Look what the Bible says, Luke 12, Jesus speaking. Life is not measured by how much one owns. And how much of our life, how much of our life is spent acquiring, taking care of, using possessions, right? Life isn't measured by what you own. As a matter of fact, I would actually say your life is probably going to be uh, measured more by what you give than what you get. I don't know if you've ever been to a funeral where we talked about bank accounts, 401ks, retirement planning, right? I've been to funerals where we have talked about the generosity of a, of a person, the giving nature of someone, the difference that they've made. And the last thing that I would tell you is how to recover from the walking dead is that we need to rely on Jesus. We need to rely on Jesus. Think about that with me. The very beginning of this epidemic of sin really came out of the decision between two different trees. A tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said, if you eat from that tree, you'll be infected and you'll die. If you eat from that tree, you'll die. I I love you. I don't want you to die. So I've given you these trees. I've defined life for you. I've told you the direction. The direction is to come and follow me. And we'll either choose to rely on Jesus or to become our own God and to determine what is right and wrong in our own lives. You see, the way to step out of death into life is to look at the heart of God and realize that God loves you a whole lot more than you could ever love yourself. He cares about you exponentially more than you could ever care about yourself. And He has ways for you that don't make sense to you. And I don't know if you're like me, but I want a God that doesn't make sense. Because if God makes sense all the time, all he is is me. So when God says, forgive your enemies, and I look at him and go, God, I don't understand that. But you're smarter than me because you're God. I'm not. Rely on Jesus. Because the invitation of the gospel is to follow him. And Jesus tells us in John 10 that if you follow him, he is the way, the truth, and life itself. So the only way to experience real, 
authentic life. Life the way it was meant to be is to follow Jesus. Let's pray. God, today, for many of us that are here, life, even though we're breathing, even though we have jobs to go to tomorrow and homes to go to this afternoon, life is something that feels awfully far away right now. For some of us, life has left because we've made just conscious decisions to follow the wrong things. For some of us, life is left in the same way that life leaves a box of Cheerios. God, when we just leave it on the shelf for six months. And our lives today are stale and broken. Because we haven't taken a step to follow you. So today, God, the invitation that you're giving all of us is that we would get out of our comfort zones, that we would step out of death into new life, that we would choose to follow you, that we would stop being the walking dead, that we would start being the living. So my prayer right now, God, is that you would raise the dead in this room. That the dead that is in our hearts, in our lives, that you would bring it to life by the glory of your grace. So with nobody looking around, just heads bowed, I want you to deal with this question today. Are you alive? I don't mean are you breathing. I don't mean do you have something to do after church today. Are you alive? Is your life filled with the life of God? Or do you you maybe just like me today need to look at God and say God I've blown it I haven't lived your life I need you to come and forgive me I need to embrace you I need to choose to follow you again because I'm not living that life I am the walking dead right now if that's you all you have to do today to escape the dead life that you're living is to choose to follow Jesus and Jesus will bring you back to life. If that's you and you say right now, I'm tired of this life. I want to live for God. Raise your hand right now. I'm tired of this life. I want to live for Jesus. Raise your hand. If you're in here today, I'm tired of it. I don't want to live this way anymore. So God, for those that are here today, God, the brokenness the lostness that we've embraced. Today we just ask you to come and to free us, to follow you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.